So just the other day, I was sitting down with a good friend, and we were kind of talking about the podcast. And he said, Dave, I love what you're doing with the podcast, but you have a few episodes that seem out of place for a podcast about Mormonism. And so intrigued, I asked him, which ones are you talking about? He said, the ones you've done on liberty and freedom and politics. Now, in response, I read the following quote to him from Brigham Young. And this comes out of Journal of Discourses, volume 12, page 204. There, Brigham says, every organization of our government, the best government in the world, is crumbling to pieces. Those who have it in their hands are the ones who are destroying it. How long will it be before the words of the prophet Joseph Smith will be fulfilled? He said, if the Constitution of the United States were saved, it must be done by this people, meaning the Mormons. Brigham then goes on and says, it will not be many years before these words come to pass. See, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and many other early church leaders understood that the gospel could only thrive in an environment of liberty. So that's why I have these episodes on the podcast about liberty and freedom. The two are intertwined and can't be separated. Furthermore, going back to that quote by Brigham Young, that one part where he said, if the Constitution of the United States were saved at all, it must be done by this people. This is part of our divine mandate as Mormons to hold up the Constitution of the United States and to save it. On this episode, I sit down and have a conversation with Enoch Moore. Enoch is the founder of Defending Utah. We have a fascinating conversation where we not only talk about the issues facing Utah and the nation, but more importantly, the solutions for ensuring our continued liberty and in turn, the ability to continue to practice our religion. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me. And it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. We got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you.
You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com. So go check that out. So today on the podcast, I'm, I'm super excited. I have on Enoch Moore. And for those of you who uh, follow Liberty in Utah whatsoever, you're going to recognize that name. He is the founder of Defending Utah. And one of the reasons I had him on is because I feel like more than anybody else, perhaps, he offers solutions to what's really going on. Um, my life has been a weird set of inflection points. Um, one is, is when um, I joined the LDS church and became Mormon, right? That was a big one. The other one came, because of all things, a football game. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, right? My buddy Mike, he's a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. They just played this phenomenal uh, playoff game. And so we got to talking. I wonder if they're playing next season. And sure enough, we find out they are. They're playing on a Monday night. So we take this trip out to Philadelphia. And this is about 2004 to watch Green Bay and and Philly play. But while we're there, we thought, you know, let's take in the sights. Let's go see Independence Hall. Let's go look at the Liberty Bell, blah, blah, blah. And while I've always been an avid history buff, I wasn't necessarily focused on the um, the revolutionary period. But I remember when I walked into Independence Hall, and I get goosebumps talking about it now, the spirit was there. And it said something important happened right here. And that got me reading. And as I started to read, and, and again, this is 2004, so we're three years removed from 9-11, right? And for anyone who's younger than that, you used to be able to walk into an airport like an hour and just go through a quick security screen. You're on the plane. But no naked body scanners. Just no naked basic. body yeah. scanners. Yeah. So no TSA. Exactly. So as I started looking, I realized how far off course we were, and that inspired me to read as much as I can. So talking to someone like yourself, I, I'm going to super geek out over this because I really am a fiend for the the founder's ideas. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. Well, I, I'm excited that you're, uh, you invited me. Thank you. So real quick, how did, how did this all come about? Right. Cause like, like I, I pointed out, there's usually inflection points in people's lives. What was yours to get you to being the, the founder of defending Utah? So, uh, you know, I'll, going back a long time, you know, I, I always understood the the sacred nature of the constitution with the LDS background that that I have and um Ezra Taft Benson was always echoing in my mind you know you will be the generation that will meet your god and Benson being you know the the greatest speaker for liberty you know that we've had in modern times arguably uh Ron Paul's pretty amazing too 
Uh, <laughs> I agree. So I guess we won't make it a contest of who's the greatest. That's not my point. My point is he was amazing. And so that, that always, uh, was in the back of my mind of, you know, constitution matters. And there's this thing called get in robbers that exists. Right. And that just kind of germinated slowly, uh, as I grew up and as I just lived my life to, to a certain point. And, um, I hit a point in maybe around 2008-ish and where uh, I, I watched a film, uh, Aaron Russo, Freedom to Fascism. Okay. That was my first wake-up film. And it was like having the whole idea of getting at robbers and secret combinations in my head. I always thought, what if you could like, study the world and figure out who they were but it was always this elusive almost like romantic movie idea of um of what they were and then all of a sudden i see this film and i'm like uh that plus i learned about saul olinsky dedicating his book to lucifer yeah and then i'm thinking wait a minute rules for radicals i think rules for radicals that's right and i'm thinking this is like right in front of my face a little bit. And and so I watched a number of other videos. New World Order Defined was the next one. And it was all within like a few days. I watched all these videos and I'm just like, nah, I'm just, I'm getting too excited here. Like, you know, these big conspiracies. I'm looking beyond the mark. You know, I need to just like take a break from all this for a few days. And I had to like, had to germinate and had to think about it. But, but then... um as I thought about it seriously and I studied more and then as I watched more Benson I, and I took the constitution seriously and, you know, got a lot of the basics on the, the founding fathers from great organizations. Like um, I started coming across a lot of John Birch videos and also uh, Stephen Pratt. Remember him? Yep. I do so, remember Stephen um, Pratt. I went to some of his lectures there uh, when he was alive and oh my gosh, I loved the ideas and he spoke with a lot of internal testimony of liberty when when he talked about mm-hmm. things in, in his presentation. So I was influenced deeply by that, but it became this critical mass of knowledge where I'm like this generic idea of conspiracy and secret combinations I've known about my whole life has become so real. And now there's this practical understanding of its relationship to our duties. And and we're supposed to understand and learn and, and um, stand for what's right uh, in this world. So that was like, you know, a, a period 2000, uh, 2008, 2010-ish. And, and I just took to a serious study. I, I read every book I could find. I um, looked into, you know, all the organizations that were coming across social media and emails. And um, spent some time... So first I came to this understanding of the solutions to all of our problems were already given to us by the founding fathers. Right. So at a national level, the constitution is the answer to everything. Right. But then, and of course, not just, not just the document, but internalizing and understanding the principles that were enshrined in it. So that, of course, takes further study, read the Federalist Papers and what were the experiences that brought the founders to the things they put in there and and why they're there and so forth. But I thought, okay, so easy answer. If we just had politicians who followed the Constitution and Congress, that that would like fix all these problems. 
the conspiracy makes that hard because uh, it's not just that simple. But I thought, what does that mean at the local level? I I, I spent some time now in the John Birch Society. Some other organizations that I uh, dabbled in, by the way, is Campaign for Liberty, um, the Sutherland Institute, which I right, which I, I yep. yeah, which I then learned that they were not on the side of liberty. They they were conservative, right? But but, but they were. They, I was studying, you know, Obamacare led, and how that was coming down. And I was like, hey, this thing you're supporting is actually part of Obamacare. So I was done with that. And I was always looking, you know, for good organizations. And it was Benson's talk that said the John Birch Society is the most effective organization in standing up for freedom. The talk that he gave that I was like, oh, who are those guys? Let's, you know, let's uh, check them out. And I, so I did a lot of activism with them. And I uh, created a chapter. I, I taught Constitution courses through them at my local library. I advertised, hey, come learn about the Constitution. And so that was fun. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot from Robert Brown of the John Birch Society. He's a, He was their constitutional teacher. He lives in Utah now. He's a great guy. You know who he is? Yeah. Robert, yeah. Yep. I, I've heard of him. I haven't yeah. met the gentleman. Yep. He's, he's got a lot of great stuff. Uh, a lot of great content you can find online. And one of the things that the John Birch Society taught me as a chapter leader, they had these videos. Says, it said, how to build effective chapters. So uh, I took that to heart. I, I tried to take everything to heart, right? I tried to really make a difference in, in everything I did here. And so they talked about separating your chapter with, Someone assigned to, you know, different duties and delegating, but then having someone focus on local issues. I was like, that's great. Like, that's really what we need because I'm trying to figure out what does this mean locally? You know, how, how do I vote on my city council and so forth? Interrupt me anytime, by the way. I'm no, just, you're just good. Babble on. You're right? good. You're, you're good. <laughs> yeah. You're less, more of you and less of me is always a good thing. So feel free. <laughs> so, so the, uh, so I started this blog called Defending Utah, so that I could write about my adventures. It was initially my John Birch activism. Okay. To It, it was an outgrowth of that because I learned about Agenda 21. I started investigating the city planning code of all the cities because I, I learned how to identify if your city's implementing Agenda 21 and, and, and so forth. I went to um, a meeting in Provo called the Provo 50 Summit. And and I saw how Agenda Twenty One worked. They how they how these meetings happen where they pretend to get community input with a pre-planned agenda. Uh, I learned later that's called the Delphi method. Right. Real quick yeah. for for anyone who doesn't know, explain what um, Agenda Twenty One is. So I'll I'll probably actually get into that a little more later because we're going to talk about okay. solutions. But as a brief intro, it's. It is the United Nations program to implement global communism under the excuse of environmentalism. And that's kind of what what I had taken away after I read it, because I remember I first heard about this probably 2010, I guess, is when I first heard about it. And as a land surveyor, I'm always curious about land law. And they used a lot right. of land law in there, right? Right. And And... Bottom line is, and, and like you said, we'll get into it more. It was more about trying to get people to cluster into the mega cities right. 
and then depopulating the the center of the country. Is that a good overall Absolutely. synopsis? Absolutely. And and it's funny how how the, under the excuse of environmentalism, they want to say, let's preserve the wilderness areas out here by moving all the people in here. And the excuse today is environmentalism, but you can go back a hundred years. Communist nations have always done this yep. high density housing type thing. Yep. And so it's, it's how they control the population. So if you don't own land and property and your borders, you know, like an apartment building, your property rights are naturally swallowed up with your neighbors because you share the same wall. Yep. You don't need legislation to say, now you got to think about the greater good a little bit more because literally your wall is shared with your neighbor and you have to respect each other's, you know, property. Right. So, so these are natural ways to take away our, our freedoms by losing property rights and you can't grow food, you know, and when you're in a smaller space, it's easier to implement surveillance on a population. Yep. And just so many of those things that, that add up to why that works for the tyrants. You know, uh, the other thing you talked about, uh, or the, you said something that caught my eye, and that was uh, earlier you said, when you were first learning about this, you said, I'm just looking beyond the mark, right? I yeah. need to ruminate. That was one of the things that drove me nuts, right, is talking to other Mormons, right? Because as Mormons... We we are one of the few denominations, I'm trying to think of another, and, and maybe there are some, and I just can't think of it. We're the few who believe that the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, those are, are darn near scripture, right? Yeah. Those come from the lips of God to righteous men for a righteous cause. Right. And so as I would talk to people about whether it was Agenda 21 or some of these other things, and they're like, I don't believe in conspiracy. And I remember thinking, but you believe the Book of Mormon, right? right. And that thing is littered with conspiracy, especially at the end. Uh, so, But those are just interesting stories someone wrote down. Right, <laughs> right. And no, I'm like, bro. This is, this is a sacred record of historical facts of the most important things we need to see. And people forget that there's there are two ways God is dealing with his people. One is on a, on a personal level, right? A, a person and their family and those kind of covenants. But we forget that the Book of Mormon, even as much if maybe a little bit more, deals with a national covenant as well, right? Where, hey, if you do these things, you'll be preserved here, but you screw off. You don't walk up to the, this national covenant. We'll wipe, I'll wipe you off the land. Right. And and I, I think that things like Jamestown, you know, we forget that, that there were certain settlements that never got up and running, probably because they weren't hadn't figured that covenant out yet. And they were just wiped out. And and it drove me nuts a lot because I feel like we as Mormons, we ought to know better. Right. We got a whole book of scripture that happened here. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, that's that that just that just caught me by surprise. So you get you get your blog going. When does defending Utah really begin to blossom into the organization it is now? Sure. So so uh you know, for a while it was just I'm finding these things that nobody's talking about behind the scenes in the cities. That was kind of my first, you know, just dis discoveries. Um 
you know, watching how these these meetings go where they're just, you know, railroading all of us, mm -hmm. you know, when, when when no one's looking. And then they'll say, well, we had a meeting. Didn't you show up and give <laughs> us your opinion, you know? And same pattern they use around the world. And um, I actually confronted a UN lady in 2019 on that very thing. Nice. And she goes, well, we have to because otherwise <laughs> um, you're like children. And you won't oh. go along with it. Like, yeah, that's a video we never put out, but I got the footage. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that was a little fast forward. So I'm putting out these things in the blog as we're starting to learn things. And, um, you know, definitely we're, we're learning as we go here, right? We just have a passion for doing the right thing, uncovering truth. And um, we're creating our social, the social media pres presence. And, you know, at first it was just me publishing, you know, what I write. And then um, very quickly we start to gather uh, other people come on board. And um, it was it was in about uh, 2000. Let's see. 2015. So 2013 is when I started the blog. Early 2013. And. By 2015, we put together a presentation. We called it Stopping Modern Day Gadiat and Robbers, right? So we'd gone on this investigation, this research of, remember how I said we were, that uh, we we're looking for local things? Right. I said, I wanted to know, this is the solution nationally. What's the solution locally? Well, Robert Welch of the John Birch Society had identified the problem and the solution. But to me, it was like national. The problem is the conspiracy. That's why they're so effective. They called the enemy what it is. It's a conspiracy. So you didn't beat around the bush. And that, that led the John Birch Society to be able to understand strategies and tactics that were effective. Without calling it that and identifying it as that, your solutions oftentimes become part of the problem or just pointless. Right. And that's because of there's a conspiracy and they have controlled opposition actors. So looking at that locally, right, we had gone down this rabbit hole of investigating where is that conspiracy locally, our own backyard, right? And so long story short, we put together all of our initial findings into this presentation where we uh, did this event, uh, sold out within days. Titled it Stopping Modern Day Gadiant Robbers, and um, people got really excited about it. And we just went through the history of the, from 1776, from we started with the Bavarian Illuminati that was around for 10 years, and we traced the conspiracy up through time. The, the, the Bavarian Illuminati was an, an actual organization for 10 years, and then went underground after they were um, found out. And the authorities went after them for conspiracy to overthrow the governments of Europe. Dude, if I'm not mistaken, George Wash, there's actually a handwritten letter. I know I'm not mistaken because yeah. I've seen it yeah. from George Washington, who was a Freemason, who was warning other Masons right. about not letting members of the Illuminati into Freemasonry. Um, that's I don't know if uh, he has written letters. Um, I don't know if I've seen that exact one you're referring to. But we, we quote some of the George Washington letters uh, in our in the initial presentation that we came up with, and and that is still uh, available. So, um, but absolutely, you're right. Like the original Freemasonry was th there, it wasn't like 
people say, oh, the Masons are the Illuminati or something like that. And that's not how um, that worked. The, the, the Illuminati was a branch in Bavaria. Right. And, and well, in their, in their own words, they, they talked about how they infiltrated some local lodges there trying to use that influence. And then they were found out and, and you know, and um, that was how it started anyway. Um, the landscape today, you know, is a whole different discussion. But as far as in the beginning, you know, when you talk about Joseph Smith being a Mason and, and George Washington and them, yeah, that that is not synonymous with Illuminati. Right. That That's the point, right? And people, and that's very clear from the history. But anyway, so we, we trace the Bavarian Illuminati because we start there. Now, that this conspiracy goes back to Cain. Sure. But, but you can trace it very clearly throughout history without question, going back to 1776 when Adam Weishaupt formed this. And he came up with his official, uh, like the doctrines of the Illuminati, which are, you know, you can lay it side by side with the Communist Manifesto, right? And so this is how you identify the opposite of the things that actually promote liberty. These, these principles, you know, um, as far as, you know, taxation and ab- abolition of private property and, and those sorts of things. So going forth there, <laughs> Illuminati uh, disbanded and you can trace it to another organization called the Club of the Jacobins. And then you can trace that to another organization called the Carbonari, which you can trace the mafia out of that. And... Um, and it just goes on and on and on. You, you can trace this to modern revolutionary tradition. So we outlined that to everybody, said, hey, guys, there's a conspiracy. Here's where it started. Here's the high level points. Here's some of our sources and some books you can read. And and then we traced it, followed it all the way through to Utah and up to modern day and said, here's a problem in your own backyard. We want to do something about it. And so that was kind of when you say grew into the organization we had today. That was when we first presented this idea to the public and we invited people to be involved. And there already were people involved at that point, but it was it was like we started really um, telling people, um, you know, here's some good ideas we can implement. And from that point forward, we have, um, I can say for sure, my mindset has always been, what do we do about it? Right. There's so much you can learn in the world about what problems are out there. There's far less on real practical application of what to do about it. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I didn't have, clearly, I don't have all the answers and I didn't have all the answers. And, you know, what are all the answers? But I had a passion to understand how you find the answers and what are the principles that we build our answers upon. And so you can see over the years, I I have a couple PowerPoints where I walk through our solution strategies over the years and how they've evolved. And actually what I'm working on right now is a decade culmination of the, the patterns of the solutions. And now here's where we are today. And so I'm planning to hopefully unveil that this year. Nice. And um, I may give some teasers at the firm foundation expo. I'm not sure. I haven't finished that presentation. Nice. Um, but, but my goal is to have that out there. So that we can uh, help people feel empowered. I feel it's so empowering when you have when you 
internalize the solutions. And these solutions, they came from the founding fathers. And they've come from our years of experience of trying one thing and trying another. Seeing one thing work in the John Birch Society, seeing something else work with the Fending Utah, seeing something else fail. I was obsessed with what worked and why, what didn't work, how come that failed. This is this has been my passion. And um and then when I what I feel I've come to, I look back at the founding fathers, I'm like, that's what they did. They had yeah. this passion. And um and it's not talking about, oh, we need to have a revolutionary war. That's not the point. Not the point at all. The point are the principles of liberty they stood on and, and the philosophies that how they acknowledge natural law and how empowered we are to take control of our own lives and our communities. And and that's kind of what I want to get across to people, to help people feel empowered. No matter where you are in the world, the same natural law principles can be implemented effectively. Dude, I couldn't agree with you more. And so often, and I think it's natural, especially in the time we live in now, in this age that, that I contend we haven't seen since certainly the um, Industrial Revolution as far as these technology advancements. And and I think we, we tend to want to look forward for answers, right? Probably because we're a tech society now. What's the latest and greatest right. thing? However, principles work differently. And sometimes when you find... And, and I'm, I'm about to make my audience throw up again because they've heard this. As a land surveyor, <laughs> right, you go and you measure something. And let's say you're off two seconds in your angle, right? In a foot, it doesn't make a difference. In 100 feet, it doesn't make a difference. Maybe even in a 1,000 feet, you're only seeing a couple hundredths of a foot. But you go far enough. And you're going to miss your mark. And you're going to miss your mark entirely. And sometimes we need a course correction. We need to check where it is we started from and then go, right? oh, hell, we lost our way. Yeah. And then get back on that. So sometimes it takes looking backwards to find the answer that we need. Now, I'm not... Look, I'm too lazy to live in the 1700s again because I just really like football and sitting on the couch and watching TV, right? So I'm I'm not going back to that. But those principles are timeless. Yeah. And so going back is super, super important. The other thing you said there that I think I'm glad you said it and it's something I want to drive home is this idea that let's let's not grab our guns yet, right? Right. I don't want a bloody revolution. I believe that the founders gave us the system we have now so that we could have a revolution every couple years if we're smart enough in our voting patterns and if we truly look at things. Well, there's definitely something to be said about the voting system not functioning properly. Sure. For sure, right? And so sometimes you don't want – I don't want to give the easy, you know – it's not like the system works. And so we have traditional solutions people sell us, right? Your congressman, uh, you know, run for office yourself, get elect. You know, th- those are all good things when things are working in a healthy way. But the founding fathers, they were in a position where they had the same problem. Things were not working in a healthy way. Read the Declaration of Independence. What were their grievances? Right. You're like inventing these courts. You're just throwing us in jail for no reason. You're doing, you know, they got this whole list of things and th- you're violating 
the British Constitution, he had limits on his powers, right? They talked about pretend legislation. You can't write those laws. They're doing all the things today that they were doing back then, clearly worse, right? So they didn't say also, you know, let's just use our system. But but they didn't go straight to what, what you're saying, right? It, there's there's an intelligent way to understand natural law in, in how this applies. So let, let me see if I can explain this. So generally people think government's doing this. Let's change the law so they can't do it. That's kind of the first go-to in your brain, right? Well, I'll like, well, let's get our congressman to change the law. or And if things are functioning properly, that could remedy problems, right? Um, but, but experience has shown that you can't, they're going to keep making illegal laws. They're going to keep making mandates that they're not allowed to make by law, that the law of constitution restricts them from doing. They're going to keep pretending like it's okay that they do it, right? So they've, they've done so much, you know, they made such a mess of the system. And they've confused us in so many ways. It's to rely on law, man's law. It's it's become so vague and abstract. And and what can you depend on? Whereas nature never changes. Right. So if you could understand the laws of nature and see how those laws of nature apply, you can create cause and effect in a way you don't care what laws they write. The laws of nature will still apply. Right. Gravity will always be the same, whether you legislate it and say gravity is illegal. But the same laws that govern the rise and fall of power and influence, these are natural laws. And the way the conspiracy has destroyed our nation is, is it's more through the natural laws they're taking advantage of than the legislative. The, the politics that they play follows the culture first and they use natural laws to change the culture. So influence and, and so this is also what the, the founders did. And it's a lot of what I'm going to talk about in my presentation when I uh, do that. So I, I agree with you that they're doing a lot of the same things that, that they did, you know, that, that the crown did to the colonists. I, I guess the one thing that gives me hope is that we already have a framework in place. Right. Yeah. And right. and so in a lot of ways, I look at it and I say, we don't need a bloody revolution. What we need is to get back to what we were doing. Totally. Right. And 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 I think we can can preserve it that way. The the other thing that I would say is that um, there's still nullification. Right. I mean, which we, is which is my and that's actually one of the biggest points. Nullification. It relies on a natural law. It's a natural right. check and balance. Right. And and then and then, yeah, through nullification there, there I feel like there's a lot we can do. I will say this. Um, if we're going to go down the nullification route, which I'm totally in favor of, we have to be willing to go to jail. Right. I, and I hate to say it that way, but we're talking about peaceful, nonviolent resistance right um but, well the founders certainly signed their sacred honors in, in, in yep. that route but i believe that even the properly implemented i think it will won't be as necessary even that as some people I hope fear not. because um 
because natural law is on our side. I, yeah. guess that, I guess that's my point. And it's hard for me to totally get into that without showing you my presentation that's not here that I haven't unveiled yet. But but it's it's the idea of nullification. It's very simple. Wear a mask. I don't want to. Right. right. And as soon as three people don't wear the mask or 10 people aren't wearing it, then, you know, that catches on. And so I, I guess I can, I can speak a little bit to um, how this works, I guess. Uh, I don't want you ruining your presentation. Yeah, yeah. But. No, no, no. So, so there was a – the tyrants in power want to keep the illusion that they're in control. Right. So if they say, hey, everyone wear a mask and everyone does, they say, good job. You're doing that because we told you so. People stop wearing it. If it's a few misfits, they'll make fun of you on the news. They'll, you know, crazy man at the grocery store wouldn't wear his mask and now old lady died of COVID, you know. But if if half the people in the community just don't do it or or even just a small chunk and then it and then everyone else is like, yeah, I don't want to wear that either. This is what happened when when the schools stopped pushing it. If you remember at the end of the school year in the 2021 school year, there was finally one uh, school board down in southern Utah that said students don't have to do it. This is a, less than a month, I believe, before the school year ended. And up to this point, the governor was saying there's a mandate in effect till you know, till the end of the school year. But as soon as the school did put that in place and half the kids show up not wearing it and now it's and then and then very shortly nobody's wearing it the governor says oh we're releasing the mandate right as as if that was my plan all along so you'll find that when communities work together intelligently and effectively and they're educated on what they're doing they know why they don't have to wear a mask they're not just doing it because they're mad they're they're you know they're i'm not going to wear a mask because I don't want you to tell me what to do. It's it's they understand what their rights are and they can intelligently articulate them to the to the rest of the community who may not, you know, know why you're not listening to the rules. And that catches on. There's a community effect, right? There's there's an overall effect and um, tyrants back down because they don't want to look like they're not in charge. So let me ask you this. Do you think that what happened in southern Utah there, do you feel like that that was a coordinated effort? Or do you think that was just a natural outgrowth of people finally going being like, we're all going to get this. It's the, you know, it's a bad flu or whatever it is. And they just stopped doing it. Or do you believe it was more coordinated? So there was, I can tell you there was some coordination um, that uh, we, we were involved in some of the individuals down there that were, okay. that were doing that. And um uh we had we had friends down there we had gone and done some presentations and there were some very good people down there that you know we, we all help inspire each other uh, as we get together and, and we talk about these things so um there was a i don't know the whole story so i don't want to like miss any details of someone who knows the sure. whole story is like there but um i know some <laughs> of the players and um they're there was already a bubbling influence down there and okay. people saying we need to push something. We, we need to organize a little bit. So that's where I say the, the natural law 
committees of safety and committees of correspondence, that's based on a natural law, natural right. principle. That's why the founders gave us the right to assemble. <clears throat> they needed to know that when government went completely bad, we could reassemble and we could, we could as a community, go back and, and tell our local tyrants, you know, go away, go yeah. away, who's in charge, right? The right to assemble is so essential and it comes way before, you know, saying, oh, we need a revolution. Use your right to assemble first. There's so much power in, in, in that. And, but not just assemble for no reason. I think this is where there's a responsible merging of leveraging the right to assemble with the, the right education. And then I think that's a lot of what my presentation is going to go into, right? How we use our right to assemble and, and it becomes nullification at the community level. And, um, so. I lost my train of thought. I don't know. Did we answer their question? Yeah, I think yeah. so. <laughs> let me let me ask you this, because this is something that I have felt now for probably well, probably since since COVID went into the deep dark lockdowns, right? The government instituted those. Which is I feel like the national level is is gone, right? It's been taken. And now we need to focus more at home, right? Yeah. Local law, your state your county, right. your city. It, it, do you think that's a fair assessment? Do Absolutely. you think we're going to have to... I think for so long we've looked towards Washington for the answers. And I'll, I'll just tell a quick story. I remember I was so taken aback by that story I told you earlier about when I was in Independence Hall. Yeah. It spurred a move. I moved my entire family um, out to the eastern shore of Maryland. So I could be closer to the history. Did some cool things, right? Cool. Retraced one of Washington's surveys. Uh, turned an angle off the Mason-Dixon line, right? Did some really cool things. But I remember I took my family to Philadelphia. And we walked, you know, down Independence Hall to the little home that still exists where Jefferson said he left Philadelphia to escape this sweltering summer to write the the, the Declaration of Independence. Um, and then we went to Washington, and we walked down K Street. And I remember my son at, he was probably, I don't know, probably eight. I remember he looked at me and said, I feel icky here, right? And so I... I I'm like, no, there's a good reason for that, right? I mean, we're we're walking through some 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 rough stuff here. I mean, and it was a nice part of town, but it was where all the special interest was. It was where all the real stuff happened. Um but I remember thinking even then, and then it's crystallized in, in the last couple of years, we can't look to Washington anymore for solutions, right? Uh I think everyone gets um taken with this idea of Who's going to be president? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Right. Let's right. let's focus on what's happening here in Utah, in Utah County. He was in never Orem. intended to be the most powerful man in no. the country, or they're never intended. He was. He had very he had limited function. <clears throat> the executive of the very limited enumerated powers. Yeah. Right? It, it was it was set up. And and you probably know better than I do. It was set up so that you didn't care who was president, right? Right. At the end of the day, it wouldn't have impacted your life very much, right? Exactly. And 
And I think it doesn't have to today still. And it only does because of the media circus right. that, that, that goes on. Well, that and we've, we've just ceded more power to Washington over and over and over. Right? So now it kind of does matter, but it matters because we didn't stick to the plan. Well, it, part, I think part of that is because people don't understand how government works, right, in, in general. And you think they have the power. Biden can make an announcement that says everyone wear masks nationally now. We all got to do it. How many people would just do it because they think that's the power that he has, right? Versus if you know he doesn't have that right, it's just a silly, ridiculous thing he said on TV. And you go about your life. Right. So a lot of it, I think there is a mental aspect as much as actual, you know, power with an enforcement and from some agency, right? A lot, there's a lot of mental, uh, and, and it starts with the mental anyway, before you understand that some random agency doesn't have the power they say they're having. So, so, you know, um, so your question was on the local level and, and I want to talk about Samuel Adams and his education and why, and why I love him. And so, yes, the, the solutions are local, whether we have a good government or a bad government. The solutions are local, even if the New World Order gets fully implemented and everyone's got a microchip and the worst tyranny you can imagine. The solutions always start right here in your family from the ground up. So like nationals never lost, but if your locals lost, you can't get to your national level. Right. And so we have a long ways to go to fix a lot of local areas before you can even ask the national question. So I think that's it's like the wrong question. It's like we fix national. You just, you just you we always have to think starting local. Absolutely. And to start local, you know, Samuel Adams recognized that the colonists needed to be educated not in issues, but in the ability to reason out their own rights in their own minds so that no matter what tyranny they faced, they could say, that's wrong. And that's wrong. I know why that's wrong. And, and so he saw the power that the foundation of America was in the education of the general population on the principles of liberty and what their rights are. And so he dedicated 20 years of his life before he, he, he uh, you know, uh, there was a period of time when he dedicated 20 years of his life to just the education of the colonists. I guess to other things too. But but the point was he spent 20 years educating the people so they could reason out their own rights. And so there is an aspect where we have to accept the responsibility of educating ourselves. We can't say, I love the Constitution, but you've never opened that pocket constitution you picked up at some place, right? right? We, we can't, if, if we can't read through it and explain to our teenager what this line means and that line means, you know, how can we say we love it? And, and the more you understand even the nitty gritty reasoning for all the different words in the constitution, then you start to understand really what's right and what's wrong in, in national and local government and so forth. Uh, I can give you a very clear example. Um, 2019, a flower shop on State Street is getting harassed by the city. And, and really this applies. You could go into any city, look in the meeting minutes for the planning commission, 
and just see who they're harassing that week. Right. Which business you you now have businesses you can go to 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 relate to, to hear their story. These are people who need the community to stand with them. They need to know what their rights are. They know they're getting hosed somehow. You know, but but they but they couldn't most of them couldn't explain how. And and um so the the state constitution has a lim- limitation clause on on our legislation on our legislators that says that you know private property will remain remain supreme and a free market will govern the the will be the policy of the state of Utah there's various clauses in there that are principle based and based on those principles you know you can start seeing things cities are doing in city code they can't come onto your business and tell you you don't have enough trees right. uh, on your your front yard you know the the principle is that you own your property and unless you're harming your neighbor's life liberty or property then you, you get to be left alone and and if your neighbor's not the one complaining you know there may be some edge cases there may be some you know i'm not 100% opposed to like cities and general non specific zoning to a point right but but even then it's like unnecessary but you know, i wouldn't leave a hill to die on look right? texas doesn't have any zoning laws and somehow they've managed to survive this long and be just fine natural law will take effect right so no way am i advocating zoning but i'm just saying well joe you know joseph smith was all about no licensing right and uh and i'd be all for no zoning i know um the city of duchene we had defending Utah members on their city council that, um, you know, they they made steps in that direction to just leave people alone, you know, and uh, no regulations. And they had they only had to deal with state rules that came down or something along those lines. So but but my point is this, what the cities are doing is illegal. And if if you don't know why what they're doing is illegal then you don't know what to say to the code enforcement guy that comes by and gives you some random rule that totally violates your property rights. You have to understand there's a constitutional limitation given to uh, the government of Utah by the Constitution that extends to the cities. Right. No, that makes that. So let's talk about that, right? Because I think education... Has to be a a central point in finding our way out of this, right? If if you some of the saddest stuff I see is when you know you remember when uh, Jay Leno was hosting the Tonight Show and he'd go jaywalking, so to speak, where he would just talk to people and ask them questions about either history or what's going on in modern day life, and they were just clueless. How can we educate more people effectively? Uh, concerning liberty, right? Because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we've done as a society, and we did it out of reverence for a while, we we turned the founders into marble statues, mm-hmm. right? And we've taught history in such a way that it's either boring or incorrect or most likely both. So how do we get? How do how can we reach people? And educate them in a way that's easy to digest. 
Because that's often the problem, mm-hmm. right? I remember with my kids, I would explain to them the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration. Look at all this. And they'd be like, oh, here we go again. Dad's going at it. But when I put the founders back in place where they were like rebels, they were, they were, I, I remember I told my whole son, yeah. you don't like it when I tell you what to do, right? No. Well, neither did they when the king tried to do it. How do we educate these people? How do we get, I shouldn't say these people, all people, how do we get these principles into their hands and into their heads where they know it? Well, certainly you're right about history being made boring on purpose in in schools and public schools kill a love for learning in yep. so many ways, right? Uh, I think there's something to be said about history can be made alive with the right details and with the right stories and relating them, certainly realizing the reality. Like when people have a real situation and they can apply the historical context to, oh my gosh, they, they knew what they were talking about. They fought the tyrant. Well, I've got this tyrant, you know, and, um, there's a lot of people that put out different content. You know, we put out a lot of content over the years trying to uh, solve this issue. And then as we've organized chapters over the years with Defending Utah and John Birch Society has done a lot of similar things. You know, the goal is the goal, one of the goals of the chapters has been to help educate your neighbors, have cottage meetings, invite your neighbors over and discuss in an intimate setting, you know, and, and with, with an exciting speaker or a presentation, you know. So I think having an organized effort to grow cottage meetings in uh, communities has always has been something that I've seen effective over the years. And, and seeing that grow, um, JBS was very effective during it. And um, that's where we've seen some of our, our best successes, for sure. Um, and I think not beating around the bush when you tell stories, you know, um, uh, you know, talking about the miracles of the founding fathers and the miracles of this state of Utah, you know, these are things that are also being erased mm-hmm. for sure. So, um, and there may not be a silver bullet to that. I think organizing effectively, you know, is I've always had the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, how we, how can we build something? that can effectively serve that purpose but the people involved and the enthusiasm they have and the time they dedicate having good leaders definitely puts that into a supercharged mode to to reach people i think you hit on something super important too and that's this idea of organizing as i if you want to call us conservatives or you want to call us uh libertarians or or you know classical liberals, however you want to put it, we seem to stink on ice when it comes to trying to be, you know, do public, you know, uh, or organizing, right? Mm-hmm. That seems to be a tool of the left a lot. They got good at that, a community organizer, and, right? And they can hire people. And they can they, hire people because yeah, there's yeah. an endless stream of money right, coming the from feds. the likes of Soros right. and the feds yeah. and the endowment for the arts or whatever you right. want to say. I, I often look at our side and I'm like, well, yeah, I get why we don't want to, I don't want to organize. I, I understand why they don't because I don't because I work a full-time job. I got kids. I got 
all these right. things, right? And and so how how have you found it best to start organizing on okay. the, the right side of the spectrum? Yeah, that's a very good question. And um, you know, Benson talked about that. And and I think a lot of his ideas came from his friendship with Robert Welch in the John Birch Society. So I can I can speak to this is one of the things they did really well, which we have aimed to duplicate at Defending Utah. And it's, you know, we educate ourselves, but we can't all dedicate our lives to fighting tyrants every day or watching out, you know. But we have to have the mindset so that as we go about our regular lives, we know what little things we can do. And it becomes a a regular part of our culture, that the, the things that we do as part of being organized. Uh, I know, uh, so JBS called it, defending freedom is a marathon, not a sprint. So you just decide a little piece of you is dedicated to stand like the founders did. But just a little piece of you. It doesn't have to be your whole life that you're giving. And you dedicate just that, you know, whatever organization you're a part of, that monthly meeting, that weekly meeting, and, and you give a little, but you kind of commit to just, it's that principle, lift where you stand and give a little bit consistently. And if your heart is in it and a whole whole community has that attitude, I think then you're going to find we can all live our lives and, but have this culture that has a strong, uh, has that strong cultural undertones that, that liberty matters here and, and we won't tolerate nonsense here right as i've thought about it i've often thought there i think we need to be better at integrating the two things and it dawned on me once when i was um working on vacation of all things i know it sounds silly but um i had to do 15 minutes of work right and i could do it all from my phone and i thought this is probably how we have to do this liberty thing right we have to be able to make that just another part of our day, right? Right To where it's just second nature to what we do. So that if you're at work and you encounter someone that you got a good rapport with, you can have this conversation. Right. And and I think integration seems to be Absolutely. a big key anymore I focus on. And, you know, and that's part of, um, it's part of the natural law. You may have heard this term, claim, use, defend. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... Whatever you want the reality to be tomorrow, you need to claim that reality today by declaring it so. So, um, so in our everyday lives, as we go about our business, like you said, just by okay, so some very simple examples: you have a bumper sticker, or you have a storefront, and, and you know you. You can put positive messages in your storefront or whatever. Or you're in a business meeting, and this would be a good one. Business leaders in the business community, you're doing your normal networking. You're making deals, you know, with your suppliers. And then someone wants to get a government grant, and you just throw in there, you know, well, I don't, I, your opinion on how principled you think that is. And maybe we should find another way. It'll be better for our company because it's kind of wrong, you know, to, to take government money to 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 save our flow. business yeah. right and so so definitely integration of the principles the principles have to be in our heads and then they need to come out in our day-to-day interactions 
but but coming back to that claim use defend thing it's it's like um however you want it to be uh let me give you an example so i'm a software engineer and um years ago uh many years ago i I did something. I'm going to be a little bit generic because I don't want to be specific about sure. any companies. Okay. But this was a real experience. So I did something in the company that as an engineer, I knew was important. Nobody. So there's always this business side in the engineers, you know, that, that deal in, in these um, big companies. Right. So I did something that I knew was important. The, um, the business didn't fully understand what I was doing or why and didn't really care. And so, but, but I just did anyway. And, and I just kind of stood on, this is, this is how this should be. And no one really strongly objected, but just let it be. Well, over time, um, as this piece of engineering was react became reality, old people go, there's turnover in the company, new people come in. And now this thing that I've established that I knew was important, the newcomers, they just see it as that's how things have always been. Right. Okay. Right. So so in a way, I claimed the reality of what I knew what was right, despite even if everyone else didn't understand it and no strong objections. You know, I would have happily explained and I did, you know, explain myself to anyone who cared, but no one felt that strongly. And so it just moved on. In our communities, we can we can claim liberty in these ways. And again, this is a small piece of my presentation that I'm going to weave in how these natural laws can come into play as we organize in our communities. Dude, I'm sorry. I got you just doing little bits of your presentation yeah, all okay. over the place. I'm worried I'm going to. Nope, you won't kill it because uh, I, I, I want to I want to share it. And uh, I'll just, it'll all get put together, you know, in, in there's no, um, there's no spoilers. Okay. Right? All right. Everything. We're, yeah. We're, we're, these are, these are principles and they're teasers. So, um, so we, the, the founding fathers declared a truth first. Right. They said, we are free to the King of England. The moment they declared it, it was reality. The King of England didn't agree, right? But everyone that wanted that to be real agreed. And there might might have been a lot of people who said, I don't know that that's such a smart idea. You know, you can kind of imagine the the, the different aspects. It it started with with a small group of people that declared the reality, that declared their truth that they wanted it to be. And so then from that point, that point forward, you know, once you declare something, that's that's like the claim and claim is defend. You're, you're claiming your reality. And so there's a whole history of these various declarations, actually. That's another that's another part of my presentation, right? There was a whole string of declarations that built up to the Declaration of Independence. Well, if the king had just said, well, that sucks, it would have been over. As soon as you declare your reality, then there's a powerful influence it has over the mind. And then the longer it sits there and germinates, nobody else has to necessarily do anything specific. But if, if there's a core group of people that are saying, this is how things are, this is, this is how the constitution works in, in our community and, and so forth, whatever it is over time, everyone starts seeing this is how it's always been. And so this is a natural law. You're using 
you've now claimed it. You're now using that reality consistently. And, um, and hopefully you never have to defend if it's done effectively. Hmm. Which, but, it, but that but the founders did. Right. 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 That's the point. Yeah. I think, I think we're almost back to that point. Right. I, I, I really think if we want to start reinvigorating our society with these, we have to reinvigorate our homes with it first. Absolutely. Our right. families are the first committee of safety, so to speak. So, so with you saying, you know, you declare your reality, I think that has to start at home, right? Absolutely. We have this conversation with our kids, and I remember I told them, I was like, look, we're going to be different, right? Um. <laughs> My boys hated me because <laughs> like when when their dads were like when their friends' dads were out there and, you know, they were like, we're going to the whatever. I'm like, we're going to sit down. We're going to read Washington's rules for gentlemanly <laughs> conduct and decent behavior. Nice. Right. But I, I look now. I remember my son when he went on his first date and he did all the things that Washington talked about standing at the table when a woman comes to the table. Right. Those sorts of things. He had dates left and right, but I mean, it was it was one of those things where where it, that had to start at home, right? And I think yeah. we're we're that place with these with these uh, these principles of liberty. Um, I know certainly because I'm a huge Washington guy. Out of all the founders, I find him the most remarkable, and I am the least guy like Washington, right? But I. I I almost have a holy envy for how he was able to conduct himself. And and so I find myself saying, where's the next Washington? And it, it's occurred to me, we're going to have to grow him. Yeah. Right? We're going to have Definitely. to grow him from home first. The, the other thing that... I've always told my kids growing up, a leader is the first person to do the right thing. We all have to be leaders. Yeah. All of us. Yep, absolutely. Um, do you think that as a society in general, I'm not talking about the folks that come because this is something that has frustrated me. I'm not talking about the folks that go to the meetings, right? Go to defending Utah meetings or those who are are liberty minded. But there seems to be, and, and I'm looking for a glimmer of hope here. There seems to be just a, a general sense of apathy towards this. How do we wake people up from that? So I think the first thing to understand is that sense of apathy is part of the strategy of the enemy. It is, yep. Right? And so that gives you some insight into how they they work as well. They want our lives to be as comfortable as possible so that we maintain that apathy. So definitely it takes creating inspiration. And, you know, we can all bring ideas to the table on that. Right. I think people like to hear a little bit of what's wrong and then you got to give them an understanding of how, how we can fix this, how this works. And um, that's what I hope to do with with the solutions that I'm coming out with. So inspire people, you know, inspire people with successes of the past, inspire people in different ways. There are many people with artistic talents in different ways that can create art, paint, or videos, or whatever, that inspire people. Use your talents to create that kind of inspiration. And 
then connect it to like real programs, real programs that can get things done. Gotcha. So. Real quick before we move on to some heavy-duty solutions here. In Utah today, because I want to focus on the local, what do you think is the biggest threat that we face in Utah today from the local governments? Yeah, it, it is our local government quietly implementing Agenda 21, having built a shadow government behind our current system, the shadow government of regional entities. So this is the United Nations model on, on how they, they've done this all over the world, where they create new quasi-government corporations that act like their governments. This is where I say they're using the natural law in reverse to take away our freedoms. They've created the illusion that, like the Utah League of Cities and Towns has a has an annual meeting. They just had it here recently. Um, and they do... They create draft legislation. So they're playing like they're the government and, and they're connected to the National League of Cities. So there's this back channel of regional governments. And then our local government is coordinated with this effort that then delivers everything right into our own backyards through city councils, through the planning commissions, through, uh, you know, so our, the local power players, the local conspiracy, you know, the clubs that, you know, that we've talked, that you've heard about in the past, they're, they're influencing that these United Nations NGOs and these various regional governments can govern and organize in this way. And then just everything gets rubber stamped by our city councils. How much actually do our, do our city councils do in all the cities? Not as much as, as uh, we'd want them to. A lot comes from these regional governments, and that is the Agenda 21 model. So, and that's, in, in, from what you see, that's the biggest thing we're facing now. I think so. I think, you know, biggest is hard to measure. You know, everyone has their favorite issue. You know, and, and as soon as you see one person wronged by one issue, if that feels like the biggest thing for that day. But I think overall, holistically, it's the fact that we've lost our government and um, who we elect, they're not even really running the show. And um, we, we just don't have any influence over what's going on now with with our local governments. So you named one organization, which was that? Utah, was Utah League of Cities and Towns. Okay. What, what's another one? There's the uh, Utah Association of Counties. And there's a National Association of Counties. There's the Wasatch Front Regional Council. There's... Um, uh, there's one up north that actually they created a regional government that spans southern Idaho and northern Utah, right? So with with these regional strategies, they're actually trying to erase traditional borders and create new borders. And so um, there was a there was a western U.S. one. The uh, Ken Ivory and Mike Newell had a series of legislation legislative pieces over the years that built a regional government in the Western U.S., a lands compact, they called it. And and they actually, were, they were using that quasi-government, shadow government type structure to take the unconstitutional Bureau of Land Management and legalize it under state laws, under the regional compact. They created a DLM. And so, so a lot of shady things happened through these regional uh, back channels. That's nuts. And see, I, I consider myself fairly well informed, yeah. right? But how, 
over half of those I I didn't even know existed. Didn't yeah. know they were a thing. Didn't know what what they were doing. I think you could probably there are scores of these regional entities in Utah. Some seem very benign. You know, e- even the Unified Police is, is one of them. Right. Right. And it's the same principle, removing local jurisdiction and centralizing it more. And then, and they're not accountable in the same way that our local governments are. So it's definitely important to be aware of that. Um, I'm going to give a plug for the Red Pill Expo. It's a, because of a talk on this subject that I know will be there. Uh, in fact, it's our latest article at defendingutah.org. Um, there's a guy giving a speech. And so the Red Pill Expo is an event coming in November, November 11th through 13th. Isn't that right? Okay. 11th through 13th. And it's a national tour that, that travels the country. And so they're doing it in Salt Lake City come November. So we're helping be a part of that. We're going to, we're, we're, um, we're an affiliate and a, and a sponsor and we're going to, you know, have our own spot there. But there's a speaker there. There's, there's a lot of great speakers. And this guy's name is Mark. Her. He's founded the Center for Self-Governance, and he's going to talk about regional government. And the topic of his speech is the evil genius you've never heard of. And so I don't know the full content of his speech, but it's on this subject. So regional government and understanding how it relates to Agenda 21, this is the big unknown. We can vote to our heart's content and do. we will never solve the problems of tyranny if we don't get this cancer out from behind the scenes and make it irrelevant. And and we can do it simply by shining the light on it. Because then you go to your city council and they're saying we're passing this new ordinance. And then you learn this wasn't even an idea that came from your city. Where did it come from? Well, this consultant from the League of Cities and Towns came in town. <coughs> well, who's that guy? We didn't elect him. You know, and and I think that idea can start to make it not so easy for these entities to just govern the way they have been. Does Defending Utah have a list of these organizations where people can go and look and read what we, they're about? Yeah, we have done some presentations where we've shown some big lists of them. Um, if you just look for... Um, there's a website, I think it's transparency.utah.gov or something. And they show the budgets of all the state entities. Uh, I hope I got that URL right. It's something along those lines. You could probably Google the same thing. And and they actually have a section you can filter by regional. And they start to list a bunch of them. Um, but, um, I mean, just start Googling some of them. And then, and then they'll link to the other ones. Um, the ones I've mentioned is a great place to start. Okay, I think Utah League of Cities and Towns is one of the biggest ones because of the way the, influ- the control they influence over the cities. But that's a state level. There's like they're all over the place, right? There might be like three counties, and then they they do a little thing, and and it's sold to elected officials as a way to say, hey, you're just a little town over here. You don't have a voice with the state. Let's we'll lobby for you. So. A lot of times they may only see it as like a lobbying organization and they may not at first even consider this as anything nefarious or that there's something that's incorrect or wrong about this. But but the, the, the thing is, you know, the cities have all the power. 
to to defend the right. The individual has all the power to stand for his rights. And so the city, by extension, can say, hey, people in our town, they have their constitutional rights and we're not going to pass rules that violate their property rights. And so I think it's kind of a lie to think the cities don't have power unless you join some lobbying organization. Now, nothing wrong with getting together with all the mayors or all the, you know, city council members from other areas and comparing notes, right? <coughs> sure. Like, that's a neutral idea. You can organize and, and network with people. Nothing wrong with that. But it just comes down to when the agenda of the United Nations is being pushed back down those channels. I got you. So, like, on those bills that will be brought up at city council or county council or whatever. Do the, or is there a place where people can read that bill first? And then maybe more importantly than that, find out who the author is, right? Yeah. It's generally, you just have to dig, right? They're they're not going to tell you, we got this idea from the league, but when they run for office, a lot of times they'll brag about being, I was on the League of Cities and Towns, and I got this $13 million grant for our city. So a lot of money funnels through those organizations as well. So this is federal money that right. comes in, in, in the form of these grants, and it makes it look like you're doing all this good stuff for the city. So yeah, you brag about it. But um, we want to make it unpopular to brag about those things, right. first of all. That shouldn't be something they're, they're proud of. It's like, take your $13 million you know, land preservation grant and, and get it out of my city, you know, and tell me what, tell me how, what you're going to do to actually defend the rights of the people of the city instead. You know, these are the kinds of things that we should be expecting and learning how to call them out on those kinds of things. Yeah. So let me see if I can summarize this a little bit about the problem we have. And, and it's in Utah, but I'm guessing Every other state in the country has the same sort of structure. Every country in the world has this problem. You have these quasi-government organizations Mm -hmm. who's getting funded from leftist groups. Well, this isn't so much a left-right thing. No, no. This This is a UN boring elitist bureaucracy thing. Okay. When I say left, I mean anyone... Folks who are in favor of bigger governance. Um, certainly the people who are at the top. Okay. These are the globalists. Okay. So so I, I think this very much steps out of the left-right paradigm, which we try to stay out of anyways to focus on principles. But you can't think of it as a – I don't, don't think you can think of it that way. There are conservative representatives in there and people who might have no clue. You know, you get elected to office as a mayor. You might not even know the League of Cities and Towns exists. Someone comes, the city manager comes to you and says, hey, here's a training video. Maybe they give you a login to a website. I don't know exactly how the details play out, but they have training videos of congratulations. You just got elected to uh, being a mayor. Let us give you some tips. Huh. And and one of these videos actually made fun. They try to immunize you against the people in the city that are pushing back against tyranny. Right. They call them cave people, citizens against virtually everything. So they're giving you a slur to make fun of concerned citizens right out the gate. And then, you know, so I imagine many of them, they have no clue. Maybe they are for limited government. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't even know how government works. They just won the popularity contest because they're 
their buddy, you know, from, you know, one of these insider clubs told them, hey, you should run. You know, like, I think it's a big mixture of, of people for sure. And, um, but definitely some of them are firm believers in big government, but not, I wouldn't say in the, the democratic way of, gosh, I, from bottom of my heart, we need big government. I think there's a lot more either ignorance or just elitism of once you start getting into the real behind the scenes. Okay. So we got these quasi-governmental organizations that can effectively institute policy that limits our freedom. Correct. Okay. Now I want to talk about solutions. Yeah. How do we fix it? Okay. Well, I think we've been bouncing in and out of that now. We have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we had educate. We had um, how to... Uh, maybe start thinking about uh, community organization. Right. What else is there? Um, you know, those are the key principles. You know, we have to, we are the ones that choose if we keep our republic, right? So, so I think all I can really do is expand on those ideas. That's great. Right? It's, yeah. we, we absolutely have to be willing to be organized. Evil is organized. Good must be organized as well. That's one of the reasons Defending Utah exists is to help organize people. So as people come, um, sign up for Defending Utah and um, come to our weekly trainings, you know, we talk about these things. And um, as an outgrowth of Defending Utah, we've created other tools to try to explore organizing and and committees. And that's something I'll, I'll, um, that's in my presentation as well. Um, So... It's important that we educate ourselves first, stand in our families first, like you said, and then when we're when we are strong in our our own knowledge, then organize with our neighbors, and and maybe that's not a linear thing. Maybe we we need to organize together even as we're learning, but there's definitely an importance of the kind of action you take needs to be after you have the right education, right? You can't just go to a legislator um, not knowing, you know, the very basics of maybe why he's there and what your purpose is in that meeting, right? So let's talk about the education thing again, right? Because there's a couple of, of, um, I think, natural barriers that exist to that. One is guys like yourself, are, are an aberration. They're not the norm, right? Guys who are willing to go down that rabbit hole and really look at what's going on. How do you get someone to do that? How do you get them to care enough to want to spend the time yeah. necessary to be educated? You know, I think the, the purpose of those who choose to lead and spend their time hopefully will be to help provide the organization. And then those who don't have as much time or maybe don't know where to put their time, you can, leaders can help, you know, provide opportunities for those who are busy with their lives, right? So everyone has different talents. You're going to fill different pieces of the puzzle, right? And I think that's okay. Um, I just think it grows, you know, one person at a time. 
and and let's do it intentionally. We we've had a program at Defending Utah for years where we where we we do it by intention, where we think about who are ten people that that are half interested and, and probably I'll share some material with. And so doing it by intention in an organized way, I think, is key. John Birch just I had amazing success in in the, their heyday of, right. of of that for sure. And so I think we can replicate that for sure. And what does what does organizing look like for liberty minded people? Mm-hmm. Because even this idea of organizing, it's kind of a left idea, right? I mean, that because as liberty-minded Look people, at the founders first, how they organized. Right. The Loyal Nine. The Committees of Safety is a – in fact, I, the, the left would have taken it from them and counterfeited it. The, the left. I really don't like the left-right terms. Right. Right? Um, so I'm picking up on the lingo as you're saying it. But the, the – communists communism you know they copy the that organizing effort so the founders organized um my presentation goes into this a lot so i'm trying to figure out um how to how to uh touch on that. i feel like a lot of it is is important to get the whole context but um in in 2000 in 2020 okay i had um there's a website you can look up even I don't know if you can look on the web web as we're doing this or not. Um, we, we took some of the patterns that we saw in the founding fathers and we we tried to start implementing this idea of committees, okay, committees of safety. The idea that a community gets behind somebody. I told you about the flower shop in, in Sandy, you know, and so we, we we got people together and and declared this group here is the, the Sandy City Committee of Safety. And, you know, you, you you can create some formalities so that the community takes you seriously. And then um, this is what the founders did when they started declaring their truth of, of declaring, you know, the crimes of the king, of, of uh, publishing their own newspapers. and the founders were, were big on that. Just any action they took, the committees of safety said, you know, we need to dump the tea from the, the East India Trading Company because, because of the collusion and the, and, you know, the crimes and, and they're colluding with, with the king and, and taking away our rights. So the committees being educated and principled then get behind the community when, when there's... So it's hard for me to narrow it down without getting into. I'm trying to avoid the examples and trying to be more more principled here, but the they had committees of correspondence, they had committees of safety, uh, they had committees of um, uh, they had a few other different names. Okay, and so so it, these were like functions of a fledgling, uh, the seeds of the new government was in there. Okay. okay. The the proper role of government is to defend your rights. Yes. Right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. If the government is stealing your rights, but people are organizing, and as a community, you're now actually defending the rights of the people. Okay, you, you are now taking the role of the proper role of government 
which is what the founders intended when you assemble. That's what they did. They said, the king's not defending our rights. We're going to defend our rights. And so, so it's really about this. The roles of these committees at first is remind the government of what their job is. If you remember Ammon Bundy, mm-hmm. he went to the sheriff in Harney County and said, hey, you're, you're violating the rights of the ranchers. And we're appealing to you as the representative to defend their rights. And if you don't, I'm going to bring a hundred people, or he said a thousand people, into your county, and we'll defend them for you. And it, not saying everyone has to do that, but but it's but it's uh, there are ways there are ways to you know you start with informing. Like think of the traditional things we do today is just um, seeing your legislator, asking them to do the right thing instead of now you're now you're going. Remember in 2020, people went to the homes of who was violating their rights. Right. Do you remember that? Yep. Okay. Because government was was not responsive. So people organized together and they politely delivered a note to what was her face? Um the state epidemiologist now, Angela Dunn, who went to her home, very politely delivered a letter saying, show us the numbers, you know, pointing out these, these different things. And, and you're the one shutting down businesses. You're hurting us. You're, 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 you're the one that's providing this data. That's, that's the excuse for shutting down businesses. And so going to their home, uh, you saw her on TV the next day like shaking, like no one did anything to threaten her. But now it's like they're they're worried that, oh my gosh, they know where we live, you know, and I and Governor Cox built a fence around his house, you know, for the same situation. And then Orem passed, try, tried to pass an ordinance saying it's against the law to stand on a public sidewalk. And like <coughs> they, they had this fear because it was just the people were organizing. So the best way to explain this, um, there's an article on our website that really tells the story, uh, and probably better than I'm telling it now, where we talk about what I call Termination Day. And it, and it tells the buildup of the people organizing and committees around the state. So maybe I'll leave that for the listeners. Go look up our, the article. And it talks about, um, there's this, the website I was mentioning was utahcommittee.us. And it was, uh, it was a state website that talks about committees of safety. And um, the article goes into how that was used during 2020. So are you looking to reestablish these committees then? Because you, you named off a bunch of them, right? Yeah. There was the Committee of Correspondence, mm-hmm. the Committee of Safety. Um, what, what were some of the other ones? <clears throat> Committees of inspection was like another one. Um, it's not so much that, hey, I want to establish these committees. It's the people need to understand the principle of the committees. And then everyone has to be smart enough to know how to organize them on their own. I think that that's what's most important. So a lot of the programs we did are just demonstrating the principle and showing the positive effects and the results of the things that we've done. So I'll I'll just speak for me. The idea of going out and starting one of these committees seems a bit intimidating, right? Because there's no one to show me the way forward on that. You've got a manual. 
you do have a manual. That's where I was going. There is something there where someone can go and <laughs> yeah. look at and and cookbook that. Yeah, thing, it's so just to speak. it's a big subject, so that's why I'm I'm trying to stay general right now. Okay. But um, but yeah, it's there, and so the the presentation, you know, we'll, we'll talk into that more and. And it's not like everybody needs to, again, they don't, you don't have to dedicate your life to it, but, but you as a citizen have a right to gather with your neighbor and go tell your city council, Hey, stop littering your pointless, you know, my grass is too tall ordinance all over our lawn. And, and you have a right as a whole neighborhood, this, you know, this whole street can, can gather you have the right to to peaceably assemble and petition for redress of grievances. You don't have to go to everybody's home, you know, but but in 2020 people did because people's businesses are getting shut down and offices are closed and how do you get redress? Right. Right? You, it's it was a it was a natural right. Ammon Bundy went to the home of the police officer that arrested that lady in the park. To Sarah Brady. Yeah. yeah, to simply deliver you have a right to face this is a constitutional right to petition for redress. Who's the person that's causing your grievance? You're allowed to communicate to them. It's it's such a simple concept, really. But the effectiveness of going to that person who's personally responsible, even when you're you're just being polite, you're not. You don't have to yell at them. You you just deliver them a notice and you say, "Oh, now they look you in the eye. Now they you know and they can see you, and they know you're a real person." In a very different way, there's that human connection. They're not just hiding behind a desk and or hiding behind you know five layers of bureaucracy. You know something changes. That's that's why the founders talked about when the government fears the people, right? So, so yeah, I believe the solutions are in the principle of the committees. The founders showed us the way, and th- this is a new deep dive for a lot of people. And um, we have a lot of information uh, on this to to explain this and, and to teach this, and it, and it's but it comes after a responsible merging of being educated. So that's kind of the the bottom line there, I guess. Let me ask you this: Can you can you successfully do these things without being on God's side first? So, um, my first thought is, if you're standing for liberty, you are on God's side. If, if you're sacrificing your time, even if a preacher has never preached to you, but you in- intuitively acknowledge people have the right, you know, to not live under tyranny, and you're willing to sacrifice your time or safety for someone else, like you are on God's side. Liberty is the spirit of the spirit of liberty is the spirit of Christ. So I would say that first, but so then depends on where you want to go from there. So what what I'm thinking is, and, and look, you're way more educated on this stuff than I am, but I'm thinking of George Whitfield, and it's something I've thought about a lot. You know who he is, right? Uh, remind me, you're talking about. So Whitfield was a preacher from the Church of England. Okay, and this is before the Revolution. This is about 25 years or so before the revolution. I may have the timing wrong. I know he was around when the founders were young. Whitfield goes and he 
comes up with this crazy idea that you don't need a priest to have to go through to have access to God. You follow that out to its logical conclusion, it gets rid of the divine right of kings, right? If you follow it out to its logical conclusion. The Church of England recognized this. Well, rather than throw them in jail or anything like that, they're like, ship them to the New World. You can't do any damage over there. So they ship them to the New World. And Franklin talks about seeing them. And Franklin, you know, he has almost this rock star persona that he's developed in the New World. And Franklin talks about he's, he's going to go see Whitfield preach, but he's determined he is not getting any money out of Franklin. Franklin said, I went and heard him preach, and by the first hour, I'd given him all my copper. By the second hour, I'd given him all my silver. And by the end of the third hour, I'd given him almost all my gold. Because he's talking about this idea that you don't need a priest above you to access God. You can go right to God yourself. You have that right. And it's out of that that he begins to really lay the foundations of the revolution. So you can't really have Washington unless you get Whitfield first. My question is, is it still the same today? Do we have to recognize that our rights first come from God or right. nature's God before we can really set out to do what it is we need to That's do. That's definitely a part of the education, you know. Um, right? If government can grant your rights, they can take it away. Right. If God grants your rights, government can't take away a contract you have with God. Right? That he, that is part of your right as a natural person. Not, and so, um, but what came to my mind as you said that, I did a presentation on the Black Robe Regiment. That talked I know about, who they are, yeah. Talked about the churches. And how they led the way. And there was no, there would have been no revolution. And by that, I mean the, the, the revolution in everyone's hearts and minds without the preachers uh, of that day. And so definitely these ideas come from God. They come from, the, as I said, the spirit of liberty is the spirit of Christ. Um, if you acknowledge that outwardly, then you have a lot more, it's a lot more powerful position to, to stand on and to feel confident in. Um, I welcome anybody, though, who stands for liberty, who probably feels the promptings of that spirit, even if they haven't had it spelled out to them. Sure. What it is that they're feeling. Sure. Right. But it, but the churches ought to be leading the way. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, so, uh, I, I do highly recommend I gave a three hour presentation on the history of the churches and the kind of churches today and how the global conspiracy got ahead of trying to neutralize the churches before all this stuff happened. And so the lead role they could play would have such an impact if they were all standing the way they did in the founding of our country. If they were doing that today, if all the pulpits in Utah were speaking the same scriptures that they were speaking back then there would have been no nothing would have happened in 2020 in it was game state. over yeah there would have been nothing it would have been like oh yeah the the pandemic never came here 
what I call the fake pandemic, <laughs> never came to Utah. Why? Well, people didn't believe in it. People said the government didn't have a right to do that here, right? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Part of the other reason I asked that is I feel like if we go if if we go down this road and we're not anchored to truth, real nasty things can happen. And history bears that out, right? Yeah. Let's look at the American Revolution versus the French Revolution. The American Revolution, they get rid of the king. They end up going to, um, in the 1791, they have a constitutional convention. It's, well, I shouldn't say 1791. That's when it was all ratified. But the constitutional convention, and it gets, we're done. We're done. Now, if you look at the French Revolution, and and Thomas Paine fell hard for this, despite Washington warning him, because he said this isn't the same thing. But you go to that revolution, and they the crowds are 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 desecrating holy places, holy sites, and it ends with Napoleon. Right. My fear is it if, was an Illuminist revolution, right? Yeah. But. The masses, as they always are in that thing, are the useful idiots. Right, correct. And so I worry now that we have a nation who's not, or or a population, even within Utah now, who's not grounded enough in those sacred principles, right? Mm -hmm. Godly principles that we could have a successful outcome. And that's why I think the God aspect of this is so important to me. Yeah. Because without it... I feel like it's a horror show waiting to happen. Does that make sense? Just don't think so big. Right. If you, any, any man can lead his family, right? Most, maybe there's exceptions, but generally, right? Your right. family, you start in your family and you think small. You can have a successful revolution of the mind, revolution of your culture in a very small area. It starts small. Your group of friends, your, you know, your um, circle of influence. And and you have succeeded if you succeeded just speaking truth to those around you. You have a small group, maybe just five people in your neighborhood. Maybe, you know, maybe a community of 20 families. That's a, That's success. And then you keep that going. And you perpetuate that culture. It's okay if it's small, but then that's how it grows. But but lift where you stand and build something solid right where you are. And the the big problem, you know, that gets solved as you have many small groups creating the solid foundation, and then those grow over time. I think it becomes natural over time after that. And then, sure, when people, if you've got a totally forced revolution, like all the Black Lives Matter riots in 2020, totally, you know, top down, you know, right. f funded, you know, none of those kids are going to walk away from those riots and start saying, here's how we govern our community and protect everyone from, you know, right, or, or whatever, right? It's totally artificial. And and who's in charge has already been planned. So, but but you know, in the same breath, um, 
I think it's largely to blame on the communist leaders in those movements. Whereas, like you said, they're mostly useful idiots at that point. So we can be the salt of the earth by creating these small groups. It's the spirit of Christ, the spirit of liberty. We are the salt of the earth. We create these small patches of truth and understanding, and it, it just grows naturally when it's when it's real and it's intentional. Okay. No, that's good. What gives you hope at night? Because you see a lot of the dark stuff that is being perpetrated. What gives you hope at night? Mm. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to feel it. And uh, um, she gives me hope. Okay. <laughs> How's that? You know, like, I believe in the goodness of people. You know, you can look and say, the world is full of... Uh, uh, for, for those on the podcast, I pointed at my wife when I said she gives me hope, <laughs> right? But, but like I, I see goodness in my wife. I see goodness in people still, right? When when you look at the world through the lens of social media and TV and the news, you think you could very easily fall to look how dumb everybody is. Nobody gets it. Everybody's you know lost and. But when you still look someone in the eye one-on-one -on -one, and you talk with people and you hear the, their life story, and even if they're just totally different from you and you see goodness in people, I, I think most people are capable of liberty and they just need to hear it in their, they need to hear it in the way that makes sense to them from the background they come from. Right. And so I do... Boy, when I'm dis disappointed with people as a whole, I just have to, you know, I have an, an interaction with a good friend again or, uh, you know, a new stranger. I It, it renews hope. This, the spirit of Christ is the light of Christ, right, is within us all still. I believe it's still there. And I think we just have to inspire people in this world and we have to get better at that we have to stop relying on other people we have to be willing to live free and nullify in our personal lives we have to learn how to nullify as a community and create that inspiration for others and it just it takes time it takes time and persistence and you know we, we fall and we pick ourselves up again kind of attitude yeah so um yeah, I guess that's what I have to say. You know, there's two things that gives me hope that, that we're going to find our way out of this. One is <clears throat> um, the story of, of Washington, right before they're about to sign the Declaration of or let me rephrase that, right before they're about to vote on the new Constitution. And he said, gentlemen, we've done the best we can, essentially. It's now in God's hands. Yeah. And let us raise a standard to which the wise and noble can repair. And they go forward. The other one is a correspondence between Jefferson and Adams. And Adams laments to Jefferson in a letter and says, we messed up. We messed up. We should have put more Deuteronomy into the Constitution. And Jefferson writes back and says, it's okay. 
there'll be another generation somewhere that'll see what we were trying to do and they'll get it right. And and that's what gives me hope that, that liberty won't be lost, right? Is that somehow those men who were absolute towers of men, yeah. right, had enough faith in the succeeding generations that it'll get sorted out. It'll get fixed. Yeah, I I believe that. I believe I believe the the spirit of liberty is within the people of the world as a whole and we need to be leaders and we just need to inspire it out of people. Fantastic. Well, we've been going here almost an hour 45. What do you want to say in conclusion? Well, well, first off, is there anything that you wanted to touch on we didn't touch on? Um, uh, nothing comes to my mind at this point. So um, I can just, you know, just generally conclude. Um, I hope people will, you know, check out the website, defendingutah.org. You know, we've been working hard all year on various programs. We'd love to have more people with passion and heart uh, and uh, get involved. And there's a lot of opportunity. And um, and uh, would just like to invite anybody to check out our website and uh, join up. Perfect. And when's your presentation? So the, the presentation I told you... Uh, I'm speaking at the Firm Foundation Expo. That's not necessarily my full one that I'm talking about. Okay. Um, unless I just really get lots of free time and, and finish it up. My, my goal is having that. I, I, I may announce it and do it myself this year. It may not be at any specific place. Um, but I'm speaking at the Firm Foundation Expo. And also some of our other members are speaking there as well. Um, I'll be speaking up uh, northern Utah, the city of Millville. Uh, and, um, and then Red Pill Expo will be there. So like we, we have a variety of events coming up. Um, but l- look forward to this solutions that I'm talking about. Um, that will be this year and, uh, get on our mailing list and, um, you'll, you'll be invited. Uh, you can be invited to, uh, you know, to come listen. Send me an email, info at defendingutah.org. If you have questions, want to talk about it now in advance if you're intrigued. And um, um, I guess that's it. Awesome. Look, if, if you're listening to this, it's for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but you were born in this time for a reason. And I think we all have a part to play. I'll never pretend to know the mind and will of God perfectly. The one thing that scripture does teach me, though, is that God loves a dramatic ending. And I think that things are going to get a little dicey before they get better here. But when they get better, it'll be a grand time. So, and, and I think we all have a part to play in that. You're, I, think, I think all of our job is to figure out what that is and then go forward with it. You know, um, talking about what gives me hope, he did make me think of one more thing. The more I've studied communism and the conspiracy and their tactics, the more I see that the things that take away hope are an illusion. Mm-hmm. A, a lot more than we realize. 
And so I, I can see how, how much power we really have if we start to uh, not play into those illusions and just claim, use, defend a little bit in our lives, you know, we would see a lot more success. So I feel like nature and God being one and the same is on our side. He put the laws into place or, you know, he governs by those laws and we can leverage those and and we can come out triumphant in the end. Awesome. All right. Defending Utah. Everyone go check that out. Hey, when you come out with that full list of solutions after that presentation, would you mind coming back on? Sure. Let's dive into it deep. Okay. Awesome. All right. Bye, everybody.